Yikiri, yakiri, yuck. Bickity, backity, buck. Mm-mm, good. Time for another smart dribble with your co-host, Kurt Schneider, and your other co-host, John Ellenthal. You said, mm-mm, good. Was that foreshadowing the discussion of food or food serving places, also known as restaurants? Yes. And in fact, there was a clue in one of the New York Times crossword puzzles recently, don't blank someone's yum, which is what they talked about in nursery school. I remember that clue. It was something down. Yes. Don't yuck someone else's yum. Right. And so I we think are... that's what we're about to do today, John. <laughs> I don't think we're going to yuck on yum. I think we're going to get a little nostalgic because you and I have been around for a while now and we like to talk about times gone by. And a lot of things have changed, including a bunch of things. That's There's no insight there, but a lot of things have changed that we haven't noticed that they've changed. And believe it or not, Kurt, there are a lot of popular, well-known, well-patronized restaurant chains that were ubiquitous on the American landscape when we were growing up. And now they're completely gone. And I doubt we noticed until we started researching this episode that any of them are gone. But some of them are gone with good reason. I think there was an explosion in the 70s, 60s and 70s of all these not fast food, not fine dining, but chain casual dining restaurants. And you know what? Mm, a lot of them don't need to be around and shouldn't be around because they all had the same kind of bland food. Well, that might be true, but it's still noteworthy that when there is a restaurant chain, you know, like a Beefsteak Charlie's, that there were hundreds of them. And even if their product wasn't particularly high quality or differentiated from others, hundreds of them out there, and then poof, they're gone. And they've been replaced by similarly nondescript places, but they're gone. They were here. Now they're gone. I'm going to, I'm going to get we're us... at the edges now though, John, I think the now edges. we have, we're at the edges. I think we're now on, we're we on have the margins. More, yes. I think we have some real casual fast food and we got some real nice fancy. I'm talking about nice restaurants, but you don't have a lot in the middle, certainly not in chains. I think you have some nice local stuff in the middle, but not chain-wise. We don't have the Bennigans of old that were all over the place. Bennigans is gone. That's why. No more Bennigans. But is that really different than Fridays? I'm not sure I could tell you the difference. They probably have jalapeno <laughs> poppers and the same thing. That's what I'm saying. Menu. I hear you, is, but still. All right, is so, Friday still around? I don't know, but I'm going to go with sure. Well, I'll give you an example of a restaurant. I think I think there were more than a thousand of these. And in many ways, this... Can we go back to Beefsteak Charlie's before you launch into that? Because you just dropped that like a little egg. Please, what would you like? Did they have sawdust on the floor, Kurt? They certainly did. Did you did ever they? go to Beefsteak? Yes. Did you ever go to Beefsteak Charlie's? I did. And? I don't remember anything about it, except oh maybe God. there was sawdust on the floor. So we went quite, I wouldn't say quite often, because as you and I, I think, have talked about this either on the podcast or, or ourselves... Things have shifted. When we grew up, you didn't go out to dinner that often. It, you know, it was like a maybe once every other month thing instead of the, you know, three times a week we do now. It was a big occasion. And back then, at least in my family, I think 30 or $40 fed the family of four. A, things were less expensive. B, we'd get the pregame from my parents. You only order water. So we didn't get to 
order drinks. You don't order an appetizer. Wow. And then you're out of there for your 30 or 40 bucks. Why except, did you bother going out in the first place? Well, for the atmosphere of not being home, except for beefsteak Charlie's. Because why, why was that different? Did they have all you can eat stuff? All you can drink stuff. They had these little plastic pitchers. They were looked like the big plastic pitchers, but they were little. And you could get all you could drink sangria, which I was too young to have. All you could drink beer, which my dad loved. I think it was like Pabst Blue Ribbon or Peels or Schmitz or something like that. All you could drink wine. And I think you get all you drink soda there. So we would drink a lot of soda. And we went, I remember we went to Beefsteak Charles because it was a special occasion. We were celebrating my mom's election to tenure at the university where she taught. And we went to Beefsteak Charlie's to celebrate. Well, if that does help me understand the old expression, I want a party with the Schneiders. Man, oh, man. So they did have all you can eat. They they actually had all you can eat salad and shrimp as well. And oh, that salad bar. Yeah, I think I think the problem with that salad bar was they probably that was probably before the invention of the sneeze guard. So yeah. who knows what was there? And in in many ways, they were a victim not so much of a loss in popularity of their product, but they were so generous with the "all you can eat" mentality. And their their tagline was "You're going to get spoiled at Beefsteak Charlie's." Yeah. And I just think they ultimately took such good care of their customers that they just couldn't earn enough to stay in business. But still, they were, I think they were founded like in 1910, Beefsteak Charlie's gone. Boom. Loved it. Loved it. I, as a soft spot in my heart, it was in Yonkers on, I forgot the name of the road. It was Central Avenue. Well, That's where it we doesn't went. really matter because it's not there anymore and we can't go there. But Central Avenue is certainly a big, important road in Yonkers. It also took us to a lot of other restaurants that are on this list. All right. So this next restaurant I'm going to talk about was, I mean, it was a it was a pioneering, it wasn't a restaurant, but it it sold yogurt and it's TCBY, the country's first frozen yogurt. And that created a category, right? The whole notion of, you know, going out and buying Froyo and stuff like that. And it, this goes back 50 years. It's like 1981. It's hard to imagine that could be 50 years ago um, 40 because years, it's yeah. not. That's why it's 40. hard to imagine it's yeah. only 41 years ago, proving it's hard to imagine that that was 50 years yes. ago. Yes. And there were like 1,300 of them at one point. And then they got purchased by like Mrs. Fields, the cookie company, and then the Chicago Tribune. They didn't buy them the Tribune, but they they said all sorts of nice things about the combination of TCBY and Mrs. Fields. And it filed for bankruptcy in 2008. And there the might still be best yogurt. They, there might still be some of them around, but nowhere near the number that there used to be. But these folks created a category, the country's best yogurt, 1,300 stores at its Did peak. you ever go in? Probably, but I don't have a specific recollection. I'd be a very good witness. Um, there was one I, on the I don't know. west side. I think it was Columbus Avenue on like 82nd Street. And I never actually went inside, but I waited outside while people went in I was with. There was a whole Seinfeld about frozen yogurt, and it was supposed to be like good for you, but it had fat in it, and they were all getting really fat or something. I can't remember that. No yeah. frozen yogurt for you. No, that's exactly right. I think you're conflating episodes, but... Possible, but so, not that bad. Can I take you back to Central Avenue in Yonkers? There is a certain gravitational pull, apparently, in this episode to 
Central Avenue and Yonkers. You come down onto Central Avenue from where I grew up. You took a right on Central Avenue. There was a big Ford dealership. There was Beefsteak Charlie's. And if you went a further north, you got to Pizza and Brew. What do you think they serve there, John? Steak au jus? Yeah. So there were two big things you went there for, pizza and brew. And well, I it's well-named, if nothing else. The beer there was also served in pitchers. It was flat American lager. Remember, this is way before IPAs and all this other sour beer. It, and there was not even any, even though they, you know, there was a steak in ale, but this was not ale. This was brew. We're talking Schaefer. We're talking... If you know Bush, maybe Budweiser, I don't know. But we would take dates there in high school. And I went on a date once, junior year in high school, my best friend and his girlfriend, and he made me take a date to double date with him. I can't even remember the woman I took. And we went there. And of course, we got carded. And my fake ID, as I've talked about on this podcast before, the name was Myron Brilliant. He was a friend <laughs> of my brother's. So I remember, you know, being so scared and giving over the idea of Myron Brilliant and then looking up on the wall and there was a framed picture of my great aunt's mother. She was a silent film star in the 20s by the name of Dorothy Dalton. So there's a picture of Dorothy Dalton. I got Myron Brilliant's fake ID. I'm with a date who I can't remember on a double date with my friend to set him up hoping to get some beer to get to it, but, and then eat my pizza and get into my Volkswagen Beetle and drive away. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't go to Steak and Ale as opposed to Pizza and Brew? This was Pizza and Brew on Central Avenue in Yonkers. But it sounds a lot like Steak and Ale, except the, the brew was ale and the pizza was steak. But it seems like a exactly. similar concept. Very much so. <laughs> Did you ever go? You know, and I had the same reaction to many of these chains. Yes, but I can't ever remember being in one. But when you look but, at... That's really, John, what we're talking about. It was, those were, I'm not going to say oat cuisine, but that was it back then, right? We didn't go to fancy, fancy places. So, you know, we would go out as a family once in a while to McDonald's. I mean, things you just don't do as much now. So speaking of McDonald's, something I did not know was there was a competitor to McDonald's early on that was actually owned by uh, General Electric. And oh, what? Do, you, do you remember the name of this business? No. So it was called Burger Chef. And if you look at their sign online, they, you know, they have the big neon sign. And across the center, there's a rectangle that says hamburgers. We sell millions nationwide which is very much like, you know, the gazillion billion served. And at one point, they had like 1,200 locations. It was actually founded in the 50s, again, by GE in Indianapolis, and it became really popular. But basically, it was McDonald's and McDonald's ultimately, good old-fashioned competition, you know, cleaned the floor with them. And and Burger Chef disappeared. I don't think we ever had the chance to go to a Burger Chef, but I think we probably know what it's like having been to McDonald's. I'm more curious as to why in the 50s, General Electric bought or started a burger chain when they were into, back then, appliances and wind turbines and jet engines. It's a good question, but it was definitely founded by GE. 
And I'll give you one postscript to the story. When it was, you know, when it started to decline and ultimately lost to McDonald's, the uh, it was sold off to General Foods, who then sold it off again. And after all the changes, Burger Chef was reborn as Hardee's. No crap. Huh. So if this were in the Bible, it would say Burger Chef laid down with General Foods. No, I don't think that General. Anyway, it was and it begot Hardee's. General, so General Electric sold to General Foods, who then sent sold to General Aviation, who then sold to General Custer, who then sold to Colonel Mustard, who then sold to Professor Plum. I don't know how to respond to that. Okay, that's how that was how the line went. I see it. It broke off the general little branch at that <laughs> well, point after, in a really weird four, way. After four or five generals, you got to go off category. All right. Well, then so, you did. Did you ever go to Hojo's growing up, Howard Johnson's? You know what? I did, actually, um, although I don't have a specific recollection. I was going to bring up Hojo's as well because I'm a sucker for anything that's like highlighted in orange. And it had such distinctive architecture. And look, you got to stand out in the landscape. So it doesn't have to be your menu. It can be your architecture. And that funky orange roof thing was quite distinctive. Did they start off as a hotel first and then have their restaurants next to their hotels or were they? That's one of the famous questions. You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first, the motel or the restaurant? And I don't think there's a really good answer to those questions. It depends on whether you believe in God or not, Kurt. Isn't motel like the first portmanteau ever? Well, there's a thought I've never considered or contemplated before. <laughs> yeah. Boom! I don't know how to answer that one either. How do well, you define portmanteau? It's mashing together two words that make sense to make a new one. So you have motor, hotel, motel. Well, then I don't know if it was the first, but it certainly sounds like it's one. What's the word for when you don't have a garage, but you pull up along the house and it has oh, just a roof? What's that word? Yeah, it, oh, I just had it in my head. <laughs> yeah. It's when a, you said portmanteau, I sort of think about carport. No, it's not a carport. Yeah, it is. No, that's when you... No, it's not. There's a fancier French word, like a port cochere. I'm sure you've parked at a port cochere. I have never heard that before in my life. We're, we're in America, John. I'm a simple folk. My family would go out for 30 bucks to feed four of us. Yes, we had I, carports. So a, a port cochere is a covered carriage entrance leading into a courtyard, a porch or covered area at the door of a building for sheltering persons entering and leaving vehicles. You've, you've been to a port cochere, but I do accept so, your point about going to the mug and ale and not being able to order mug or ale. So tell me about uh, Hojo's. We stayed at Hojo's. I mean, not stayed. We stopped on all the car trips. You know, again, we did a lot of car trips, all of us in the seventies and uh, you'd stop. You, at a Hojo's, you you tricks as a family when you were a kid. I no, what did you say I, I what you car trips ah ah i trips. think what we did was i don't know if it was the orange roof outside but i always associated howard johnson's with orange sherbet you know what i think i understand the orange part i used to confuse i think howard johnson's and perhaps baskin robbins because didn't howard johnson's have a lot of flavors of ice cream 
But did they didn't advertise like 31 flavors like Baskin they Robbins? They didn't have right? 31 flavors. But isn't there a scene in Blazing Saddles where you know they're they're in the town of Rock Ridge and there's like a Hojo's one flavor? Is that too might subtle for you? Might be Baskin Robbins one flavor. But I think it was Howard Johnson's. Okay. Well, can I tell you my Howard Johnson's story? Because I, I wish went to you would. We were going on a Cub Scout trip up to New London, Connecticut in the early 70s, John. John. Right. And we got to spend the night on an aircraft carrier, whatever it was, all these Cub Scouts running around. And my dad, as a Cub Scout leader, took us up there, a bunch of us. On the way up or on the way down, we stopped at a Hojo's, of course. And my memory to this day as an eight-year-old is my father calling the waitress over and saying, excuse me, miss, this is the worst damn coleslaw I've ever had. And as an eight-year-old, you are shocked at your dad saying something like that. Yes, very awkward when someone you're with gets aggressive with the server. It's very uncomfortable. And was, well, but that, but was that typical of your father? No, but I guess it was pretty bad coleslaw. <laughs> was it like rancid? I don't know. I was eight years old. So I just looked up Blazing Saddles, and there is indeed a storefront in Rock Ridge. And it says Howard Johnson's ice cream parlor. And then in two places, there's a sign that says one flavor, which might be the reason I confuse it to this day with Baskin Robbins because they promote their 31 flavors. But I need not confuse it anymore because Hojo has gone the way of all these other restaurants. I can't think of any we just talked about, Kurt. I was at Windsor Castle in UK years and years and years ago. Oh, you were at the UK Windsor Castle. Okay. And I had Baskin Robbins. I was at the Taj Mahal, the one in India. So they had a Baskin Robbins in the town of Windsor. And I had pralines and cream ice cream, which is my favorite. Is it really pronounced pralines or are you just being affected? I've only ever heard I've only ever heard it called pralines and cream. But then again, you've never heard of a pork cochere. So let's send you a picture of a pork cochere. Did you as a family ever go to the ground round? Oh, yeah, we did. Oh, yeah, we did. But I don't have a specific recollection of being there. So there was an intersection, a major intersection in the town I grew up in. And on one of the corners, you know, on pretty much the main drag, the central avenue of my town, there was a restaurant. And I don't know if the I don't know if the plot of land was cursed or the rent was too high because it went through pretty much every restaurant imaginable. And I'm pretty sure it was a ground round at one point. Did they have sawdust on the floor? And now it's Valbella. In um, my, no, it's actually a different corner. But in my recollection, pretty much every one of these restaurants had sawdust on the floor. Ground round had two things. One, sawdust on the floor. Two, peanuts. Free peanuts. And you put the peanut shells oh, on the floor. Oh, that's what was on the floor. Yes. <laughs> wow. You would get a basket of peanuts when you came in. And you'd eat them and you'd put them on the floor. That was the ground round. Okay, because I need that. That is a distinguishing characteristic. And I've never been to the Cracker Barrel, but I have been to the ground round. I haven't been to the Cracker. You know, I think I have been to a Cracker Barrel because if you're driving from the New York area all the way up to like northern New England, whether it's from usually Vermont, I think on the side of like the Mass Pike or one of those places, not the Mass Pike, but the road that goes through. Massachusetts, Mass Pike goes east west. I'm talking north south, Kurt. My hand, motions, baby. My 91. hand motions are indicating that I'm going north south. In any event, I think there are some cracker barrels littered on the landscape near Route 91. 90, yes. 91. 
90 goes east, west, 91 goes north, south. Um, uh, I need to get myself a compass. You need to go to ground round and get yourself a patty melt because that's what you ate in most of these places. A patty melt. Is that like a, is that with the hamburger patty? That's different than a tuna melt. Patty melt is a hamburger, a cheeseburger with onions on like rye bread. Oh, it's thin and delicious. Did you ever go to, this was a big deal when it opened in my town, probably in the 70s or 80s. This was before, I think, Mexican food was embraced as a central, as really an anchor in the American diet. But when we opened a Chi-Chi's <laughs> in the 1970s, it was very popular. It was, so it, was it, it was first slogan was a celebration of food, and it later became life always needs a little salsa. But that was before guacamole was everywhere. That was before chips and salsa were everywhere. When you and I were youngins, we didn't go have chips and salsa. We also, for that matter, didn't have hummus or any of those things. And we never had sushi. But I guess no, that's Baba why, that or Baba Ganoush. That's probably why the steak and ale and the mug and ale and the pizza and beer and and TCBY had to clear out because maybe it's just a reflection of the changing tastes of the American diet. I agree. You know, we got sick of our avocado covered appliances, so we had to go out and have something. Yeah, avocado wasn't. toast. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever go I, to a Chi Chi's? I did. I don't have a specific memory, but I just my memory is not good food. Did you ever? I think they um, Here's the problem with Chi-Chi's. I think I remember going and getting tacos and there was shredded American cheese on top. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure this is right. Do you think back in the late 70s, the margarita was as popular in the U.S. as it is now? Or is that whole part of the whole nacho guacamole phenomenon? I think it was very popular, the margarita in California. I don't think it had hit the East Coast as strongly. East Coast was still doing scotch and water back then and whiskey sours. That was yeah. We were still a brown-based liquor and gin on the East Coast. We didn't really. Oh, did I tell you? I did on the other po- podcast a couple of weeks ago that I was out with my friend who uh, whose great uncle invented the vodka martini. And I wish I could go back in time and alter his jeans so he could actually ask for the gin martini instead of making the vodka martini. why did you want to get in your friend's jeans <laughs> so there was another restaurant which is now out of business that was the fanciest of all of these oh really and that was charlie brown's steakhouse i remember charlie brown's but i have no idea how it's different than any of the restaurants we've mentioned it was a little more high end than that all right but we had one that went into my town growing up it went in and took over this place that had been there forever. And we decided a couple of times it was like the only bar in town to go to. So when you're in college and you come home for spring break or winter break, what do you do, John? You go out and you go to Charlie Brown's. You go to the local bar. So we did. And I remember going there once and I there's a bunch of people from high school there. And there was this woman who, let's see, we were there for Thanksgiving break. She was home after spending two and a half months in London. And I said, oh, how are you? I forgot her name. She said, oh, very jolly good I am. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, oh, really? I said, what? Oh, don't you know? I'm just back from London. I said, oh, oh. have you spent the last 20 years there? No, I went over in September. <laughs> That's something you would do, Kurt. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. So I'll ask That's you. My tri- memory. That's my memory of Charlie Brown's Steakhouse. I all have right, memories well, of I've, all these places. I've got a trivia question for you that relates to our topic. You ready? Yeah. Who started 
Kenny Rogers Roasters. Dolly Parton. Very close. Very close. It was actually Kenny Rogers. And was it was it Willie open, Nelson? It was actually Kenny Rogers, but you're very close twice now. Anyway, it was opened like in 1991 in Florida, and it was indeed owned by Kenny Rogers. And I mean, it it became a big chain. And the only reason I think it's worth mentioning, I mean, there were hundreds of them. The only thing, only reason I think it's worth mentioning is, is you remember the Seinfeld episode, our second Seinfeld reference here, where a Kenny Rogers Roasters opened just outside Kramer's window and it had a giant neon sign and it was like blinding him. He had to wear sunglasses in, inside the apartment. Was that a Kenny Rogers Roasters that opened near I, him? I, I don't know. I know it was a chicken roasters and it was a Kenny Rogers. <laughs> so I think... You know, we, we need to end this episode because I'm getting very hungry talking about all this and I need to find some local 1970s restaurant. But I, I would like to end at least my piece on the A&W Drive-In. Did you oh, ever go man, to that? Those were great. That reminds me of Wesson's, another one gone by, but I love the A&W. You know what? They served A&W root beer, Kurt. Yes, they did, John. And A&W cream soda. But and I bet the, you they served A&W root beer floats. That they did. And we had one in West Lebanon, New Hampshire, when I was in college. If you woke up and you needed a hangover cure, you would drive with your buddies in your car up to the drive-in. You'd get some root beer floats and they'd Mm. come in these huge containers. You'd get some curly fries and you'd probably get a hot dog with all the workings, maybe even a chili dog. And boy, was that a good hangover cure. A&W Drive-In. Yeah, I loved those. The last one I went to was in Flathead Lake in Montana, but that's a long time ago and a long place to go. You went to Lebanon and Montana to get, that's pretty, you've traveled the world for your A&W. Yep. All right, so I'm going to close with two restaurants that were struggling, so they became one restaurant, and now there's like 20 of them left where there had been like 600 at their peak. And I bet you the Schneider family got in the car and at some point, took you guys to either the Ponderosa or Bonanza Steakhouse. Did you have one of those near you? No, and never went, but I do know them. Yes, they combined, huh? Well, they, they were popular because of the TV show Bonanza. And yes. I guess they were sister steakhouses. I don't know what that means technically from a legal perspective. Started out in Plano, Texas. And, you know, they were very much the same. And like I said, they had 600 at one point, and I think there are 20 at this point, but there used to be Ponderosa and Bonanzas everywhere. And if you wanted a nice cheap steak, I'm guessing that was the place to go. I guess it's hanger steaks there. That's it. So, John, this this has been fun. I am now starving. I got to find some greasy stuff here in New York City that's going to replicate it. So I said I bid you adieu and... I bid our listeners adieu because I hope that their weeks are their week ahead is filled with smart dribble and know that we promise to dribble and hope for the smart. Well, if you're going to wish everybody adieu, there's no doubt in my mind that at some point in the next couple of days, you'll find yourself parked under a pork crochet. Oh, boy. Ciao, everyone. Bye. <laughs>